We've been, uh, <clears throat> we're going through the Gospel of John, verse by verse. And we're in chapter 6. There's only 14 more chapters to go, so praise God. We, we'll get there eventually. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we have your word. Ask you this morning to help me speak what you'd have me to speak, to teach and edify your people and build your church in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, John chapter 6, verse 22. What's happened is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Miraculous provision. Is, I mean, this is an awesome miracle. Over 5,000 people, just the men was 5,000. And Jesus fed them with five barley loaves and two small fishes. And they ate their fill. They were filled. Oh, this, man, this is great. And their reaction was, let's make Jesus the king. This is great. He's going to provide for us all the time. And Jesus said, no, that's not going to happen. Sorry, guys. That, it's not the time. That's not what you guys think. How many ever, ever met people that they've got their own ideas about what the kingdom of God is all about? Anybody ever meet a lone Christian? I don't need to go to church. Okay, fine, you know. <laughs> Little lambs that are out by themselves get ate by wolves. Amen? <laughs> Praise God, pretty much. <laughs> Lambs aren't very strong. Their motives, you know, were messed up. So Jesus sends the disciples across the sea. They're down in the south somewhere of the Sea of Galilee. They go across the sea. Jesus sends the people away in one of the other uh, accounts and uh, goes up to the mountain to pray. And then in the middle of the night, comes walking on the water to get to where they're going. They're going to Capernaum. And in one of the accounts, it says that Jesus comes walking on the water as though to pass them by. Hi, guys. See you on the other side. And it's like, to me, that's one of the funniest things he's ever done. Can you imagine being in the boat? You're rowing the boat, and here comes Jesus walking on the water, and he's going to pass by. Well, what's going on? What are you doing? First of all, they freak out. Oh, it's a ghost. People don't walk on water. Amen? <laughs> Mark Twain wrote a story called Innocence Abroad. I believe it's uh, his account or his journaling of when he went traveling. And he's over there in Israel, and uh, they hire a boat to go sightseeing on the Sea of Galilee. And one of the other customers or one of the other tourists on the boat is complaining about how expensive it is. <laughs> and Mark Twain turns to him and says, maybe that's why Jesus walked across the water. <laughs> Hallelujah. So then they come and they, they seek Jesus. The, the peop, they notice Jesus is gone. Just a quick summary. They get in, some other boats come, they get in, they get over to the other side, ouch. And uh, they're looking for Jesus. They're seeking Jesus. How many know it's a good thing to seek Jesus? I read a story uh, of a, a young man. The name of the book is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. This young man, he sought diligently. He wanted to know the truth. Just like uh, Jesus says later on in chapter 8, verse 28, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth is not something we decide for ourselves. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Well, let's go and start reading here. 
Actually, we were supposed to start at verse 22. So, <laughs> all right. They got in. They were glad to take them in the boat. And immediately, they're in the middle of the boat or the, the lake there. They've only gone about three or four miles, it says. And when Jesus comes walking on the water, and as soon as he gets in the boat, somehow, boom, they're already at their destination. I don't know why it says that. It's just kind of a miraculous thing. So, Pastor Wayne has graciously removed the uh, verses that were not supposed to be in there. So, look what it says here. The next day, these people stayed over there, and uh, they must have slept there somewhere. Some, in one of the accounts, it says that Jesus sent some of them home. But some of them hung around, and they, uh, they're on the other side, the south side of the sea. They, so there was only one boat there yesterday. Hmm. So they start thinking. Jesus, they noticed that Jesus didn't get into the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. And in the King James, it's kind of like uh, he, he's <laughs> making the story more complicated than it's supposed to be. But uh, this is the point is that they know that Jesus didn't go with the disciples. And maybe somebody heard Jesus tell the disciples, go to Capernaum. Because Capernaum, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, was Jesus' headquarters, so to speak. So somehow they knew that's where the disciples went. And then other boats from Tiberias, which is down on the south to the west, southwest of the lake, they come near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. This, I believe, if you'll notice, <clears throat> it's important to give thanks to God. The miracle, the wondrous deed occurred after thanksgiving sometimes when we're praying we have to thank god for what we're praying we have to thank god that the answer is on the way because we don't immediately see things happening right away amen i know i don't there's things i'm praying about that god i wish you'd hurry up god can i help you anybody ever been there god let me help you <laughs> it's like people think oh god's indifferent no god's not indifferent God's smarter than we are. Amen? <laughs> they remembered what they saw Jesus and the disciples do. Hallelujah. But Jesus had gone up to the mountain. And uh, remember, here's something to think about. That the people saw. They saw something. It's good to be able to see what God's doing. Amen? So there's probably other boats came near the place where the Lord had, they had eaten the bread and they were filled and had, the Lord had given thanks. But it goes on to say, the crowd saw, here they are, they saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. It's a good thing to seek Jesus. They searched for Jesus first when it says, that they saw that Jesus was not there. What it means, what it's telling us is where they were at, they began to search for Jesus. Sometimes people have to start where they're at instead of getting ahead of themselves. <laughs> I was talking to one of my carpenter buddies and uh, lo and behold, 
He's just like me. He's starting a project in his house, doing something, and all of a sudden he remembers, oh, he's got to do something else over here, and he leaves that project, and he starts working on that project, and then there's something else that needs attention before they can do those two projects, and he starts working on that project, and then there's something else that has to attract his attention over here somewhere, and he's forgotten about all these other, and he's getting ahead of himself because it's so much to do. There's a lot to do in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of people that are not saved yet. Amen? Listen to what Matthew Henry says. Those who in sincerity seek Christ are commonly acknowledged and assisted by divine providence in those pursuits. The people were searching for Jesus. They saw that he was not there and that they knew that the disciples went to the uh, Capernaum they themselves, these other boats come by. See, there was, only, there was no boats. Other boats came. How did these boats know to go? Maybe God influenced these boat owners. Hey, let's go over here. Maybe they heard, and there was a big crowd over there the other day. Jesus fed 5,000. Let's go over there and take a look. And the boats show up. Whoa, that's really cool. Hey, everybody's standing there, you know, looking around for Jesus. And these boats show up. Hey, guys, boats just arrived. And we know that Jesus went to Capernaum, or the disciples went there, but Jesus isn't here, so maybe he's there. Let's get these boats. I believe God provided these people with the boats. They resolved. They did not find Jesus. They saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They didn't find him, but they decided, you know what? We're going to find him. We're going to look for him till we find him. They resolved. When uh, Captain Bly on the HMS Bounty was uh, the, the victim of mutiny, he somehow miraculously made it to another um, uh, outpost of the British uh, Empire and eventually went back to England and reported the mutiny that, the, uh, that occurred there in Tahiti, got another ship and went back to try to find the mutineers. The ship that he got on to go back to find the mutineers was called the Resolution. He was resolved to bring these men to justice. He had no idea if these men were still alive or anything. Tahiti's a long way away from England, especially when he had to go around the bottom of Africa. And it's very dangerous to sail a ship around the bottom of Africa. But he went back and he found some of them because he was resolved. He was determined. Amen. Let's be determined to have a good relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. Those who in sincerity, they really want to know when people are really searching for God, God is going to set up divine appointments for you and I. Amen. Watch for it. Hallelujah. So they go over there and they're seeking Jesus. They find him on the other side of the sea and they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? Rabbi. They're calling him Rabbi. They're flattering him is what they're doing. He fed us, you know. We wanted to make him king. But now we'll just call him Rabbi. You know, stoke his ego. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus let himself be found. Anybody know what groupies are? From uh, you have uh, uh, 
people that follow these musician bands around and their groupies, you know. This is kind of what these people were doing. They were being Jesus' groupies. Hey, man, let's hang out with Jesus. He feeds us for free. Maybe some of them were freeloaders. It's all right. Free food. Woo-hoo. We got full. Maybe some of them were so poor they hadn't had a full meal in a long time. And they said, you know what? Let's hang out with Jesus. Praise God. <clears throat> They're surprised. <laughs> What's funny is they didn't say when, they didn't say, how did you get here? They said, when did you get here? Well, uh, let's see. Yesterday I was over there at the, uh, the other side of the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, so uh, today's another day, which is the next day. So um, I probably got here sometime between that time, Jesus. It's like, why do these people ask these questions? When did you get here? Well, um, it was probably, uh, we didn't have watches back then, so I looked at the sundial, but the sun wasn't up, so <laughs> why do you guys ask these questions? When did you get here? Well, at least they found him. <laughs> so, Jesus answers that question. He says, oh, I got here yesterday morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning. I was walked across the sea, and I got in the boat with my disciples. And by the way, while I was out there, I called Peter out of the boat, and he walked on the water. And then he fell in. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even answer that question. It's like he ignores them. Jameson Fawcett and Brown commentary says that their sincerity was not real. They really weren't seeking Jesus. They were seeking the signs. Hear what Jesus says? Truly, I'm telling you the truth. You are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's why they weren't looking for Jesus. And it's another day and we're hungry again. Let's go find Jesus. But the hunger that Jesus is talking about, do not work for the food that perishes or spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For the, On Him God the Father has set His seal. This food that Jesus is talking about satisfies the soul. It's not a physical, well, sometimes you might feel good with the presence of God, but this is something that is not natural. It's supernatural. Amen? Matthew Henry says the people were following Christ for the loaves, not for the love that he had. Why did Jesus feed 5,000 people? Because he had compassion. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. He loves people. That's what blew my mind when somebody told me, hey, you know what? God loves you. And all I could think of was, no, God's got a big bat waiting for me to mess up one more time. Boom! That's it. You're done. That's what I thought because I read that the wages of sin is death. And I thought, why doesn't God kill me if the wages of sin is death? Because I didn't <laughs> memorize the other part that says, however, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus tells them, First of all, you saw the signs. This word signs literally means evidence, supernatural evidence of a higher presence and a divine commission according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Signs, they're supernatural evidence. And by the way, verse 59 of this chapter says Jesus was in the synagogue at Capernaum while he was teaching these things. 
a higher presence, proof of a divine commission. In the military, I don't know all the details about it, but there are certain things or certain positions called a, a commissioned officer. And uh, you have authority because of that. But Jesus tells them, do not labor or do not work for the food that perishes. Do not labor. Matthew Henry says, we must not make the things of this world our chief care and concern. So, or do not labor because of the food that perishes. Well, I mean, I got to make a living. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? We must not make the things of this world are chief care and concern. It's Master Henry's commentary. This word food in the uh, King James is meat. And it, it's a, uh, the Greek word is brosis. And it literally could mean food, but it also figuratively means food. So Jesus is kind of trying to give us an illustration here. And by the way, anybody ever hear the, the uh, brand name Bosco? Remember Bosco chocolate powder or chocolate milk? We had that back east when I was growing up. Oh, lo and behold, it comes from the Greek. <laughs> Bosco means to pasture or to graze or fodder. I guess it had something to do with milk. Hence the name they stole the name, or they used the name and made a trademark out of it. Bosco for pasturing for meat. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, has nothing to do with really anything. I just thought it was interesting. Anyway, meat, figuratively or literally. But then he says to labor, to work for the food that endures to eternal life. This word labor is ergozamai. It means to be engaged in or with a task. It literally also means ministering. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking about the food that endures to eternal life. He's talking about spiritual things. And they're thinking, well, we're, we're hungry again. All they're thinking is, is their bellies. All they're thinking about is the flesh, and the Bible says that the flesh is enmity against God. So I believe Jesus is gently trying to encourage them to think differently. You guys, he's telling them, and us, think there's something a little different that we need to think about and focus our attention on. John chapter 4, verse 36, Jesus encouraged uh, the disciples to pray for laborers for the harvest field because already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Remember, the word of God is like a seed planted, it'll grow. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, it says that toward the end of time that the reaper will overtake the sower. That I believe God's going to accelerate. Hallelujah. Like I said, uh, uh, I don't remember when it was. I think it was last time at the, uh, for the offering that I heard uh, uh, somebody and within me my spirit leapt when this man said, I believe we're headed for a third great awakening in this country. 
That's what we need. Can you say amen? A great awakening where people will seek God. I know that back in the 70s we had the Jesus people movement. But I believe we're going to see something greater. I sure hope so. And I'm praying for it. Labor. For the Son of Man, and this is an interesting thing, Jesus tells them, the Son of Man will give you, and he's, hopefully these people listening understand that he's talking about himself, which he explains later on a little bit more in detail. The Son of Man, this is a title from the book of Daniel, of the Son of Man about God himself. He's giving himself, or he's, he's claiming the title of the Son of Man. And according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, this title denotes his incarnate life, which means that Jesus is God come in the flesh. That Jesus is telling them, I am God, and I have manifested in the flesh. I am now a human being. Praise God. On him, the Son of Man, God the Father, has set his seal of approval. That is, Jesus' authority, he has been commissioned as Messiah. Not only is he Messiah, he's ambassador from heaven, in effect, in effect. He's also our intercessor. Isn't it great to know that Jesus is praying for us? He intercedes for us. The Bible says he's our attorney, our defense lawyer. And praise God, he's undefeated. Anybody ever serve on a jury? Oh my goodness, I, it was like a high school debate team. I said, these people are professionals? And then we, we brought in the verdict and the judge came in to say, hi guys, how are you doing, what do you think? And this one older woman says, the prosecution did a poor job, she used a nasty word, a very poor job of presenting their case. What really blew my mind was when the little defense attorney lady uh, showed the defendant a bunch of photographs that was evidence and, and he goes like this and I thought you know why is he deciding what we the jury look at and I didn't say anything but all they proved was he was driving the truck that had the drugs stuck in the uh, gas tank they didn't prove anything else but they charged the guy with conspiracy blah 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 and they didn't prove that anyway so this little defense lawyer, she kept getting up. Objection, Your Honor! Objection, Your Honor! And the, <laughs> the prosecuting attorney just, they just had a hard time. They couldn't figure it out. So that's what Jesus is for us. He's our defense attorney. Objection, Your Honor! Objection, Your Honor! The blood of Jesus covered it. Hallelujah. Amen. So he's our ambassador and our intercessor. Intercessor. They set his seal. Now, remember, these people had seen Jesus do a miracle. This, a genuine miracle. His seal of approval is the authentication, if that's a word, of Jesus' authority and ministry authenticated by signs. The proof. And now Jesus is telling them, that he's authorized to give eternal life. Death is weird. Can you say amen? It really is weird. It's not supposed to happen. But it does. 
But Jesus has promised eternal life. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God speaking through the prophet says, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And I found none. And I believe it's in Isaiah, the Bible says that God was looking for uh, some way to redeem people. And it wasn't provided naturally that God himself provided it. That's good news. Can you say amen? We could never work our way into heaven. But it does say once we get saved, in effect, that we're supposed to work in the kingdom of heaven. Let's go on. Jesus answered them and tells them now, I'm telling them the truth. You're seeking me not because you saw signs that prove who he is, but you ate your fill of the loaves. He's, how many know? Jesus knows everything about us. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts, which is scary sometimes. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think things that are not supposed to be thought by Christians. I sometimes think bad thoughts about other people. Like the driver that cuts me off. <laughs> it's like, or the driver that speeds up so I can't get in. And other things like, similar to that or watching television or reading the news and <clears throat> some people say some really odd stuff and strange stuff and praise God. But God still loves us. That's amazing, isn't it? God knows everything about us and still loves us. Hallelujah. So... <clears throat> Do not work for the food that perishes. So they ask him a good question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? That's a good question. Can you say amen? A really good question. What should we do? How are we supposed to? There's a lot of times when I pray, God, how shall we proceed? What am I supposed to do next? How shall I move forward? What is the plan? What's the plan? God, what am I supposed to be doing? How can I serve you? This indicates, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, a willingness to do anything. They really want to know. And we should do. What must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do? Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, John the Baptist tells the people that come out, what should we do? He tells the soldiers, don't steal money from, uh, you know, the more than you're supposed to get. Give some other instructions on what should we do. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God's speaking through the prophet. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, thank God for mercy. Can you say amen? Thank God for mercy. One of the things that this question indicates is that we're supposed to give up our right to ourselves. When we got birthed into the kingdom of heaven, we no longer belong to ourselves. We can no longer just do whatever we want. 
there are consequences to our actions. So we should be careful how we proceed. And then, very simply, Jesus said, this is the work of God. I like this. This is simple. Now, it really helps me when things are simple. Amen? That believe in him who he has sent. Believe in the one that God has sent, and that's Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To all who will receive him, that is, to everyone who believes in his name, God gives the right to become the children of God. To believe just means it's not a one-time thing. It means to continually believe. It literally means to cling to him. When I was a teenager, I uh, used to listen to this uh, one band, and they had this uh, sad song called, When Things Go Wrong With You, It's So Wrong With Me, and It's Bad With Me. And one of the lines, he says, uh, uh, he's telling the, the young lady that he, he likes, he says, you know, you love this other guy a little more, maybe you should love him a little less. You know, why follow him around and pick up his mess? And then uh, the other part, tell, he tells her, well, you know, if you do like him or you do love him, stick to him like glue. We should stick to Jesus like glue, amen? Cling to him. Well, you know, that, well, I believe Jesus exists. I believe in God. Anybody ever get that one? I believe in God. Oh, really? <laughs> so do the demons, and they tremble. <laughs> well, you don't see me trembling. No. Yes, but you're, you don't get it. <laughs> the demons tremble. You believe in one God? Well, that's good. That's no proof of justification, according to Mr. Dake's commentary. Just because people believe in God doesn't mean they're saved. How do we get saved? We receive Jesus as our Savior. Hallelujah. Stick to him like glue. Believe in him whom he has sent. So they say to him, <clears throat> and this is to me, I don't know about you, but this is a dumb question. So they say to him, well, what sign? They just saw signs. People forget sometimes, pretty quickly. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? <clears throat> Apparently they forgot all the signs that Jesus had been doing in their midst. Turned the water into wine, healed the lame man, and then goes up to Galilee and, and, and the, uh, the um, nobleman from uh, Tyre, I think it was, his son is miraculously healed because Jesus just says so. Other signs, the, the 5,000 people fed with five loaves of <laughs> two fish. What more signs do you guys want? But of course, Jesus didn't <coughs> get too angry at that. And they go on, they start boasting. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They quote the Bible to Jesus. <laughs> he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, Jesus, top that. They're undervalued. Can you imagine? Well, this is, a, this is a tremendous miracle. 40 years, day in and day and out, except for Sabbath. We were fed Bread from heaven. Can you top that, Jesus? No, I can't do anything better than that, Jesus says. Of course not. And then in Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, the people are quoted as saying, 
This is miserable food. They're eating bread from heaven. They're eating manna, that angel. God miraculously provides. <laughs> and they say it's miserable food. They compare Jesus and Moses. Well, Jesus, you only fed us once. <clears throat> and we're hungry today. And we got, well, our fathers ate bread from heaven, but you just gave us bread from earth. So you're, you're inferior, they're basically telling him. Sometimes it's a good thing to look back on past experiences. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. We heard that God did wonderful things. Sometimes it's good to look back and see, man, there was revival around this time. I remember what was happening. I remember people getting saved. People that were living on the streets getting their lives turned around and becoming productive citizens of society. Somebody confronted, uh, I believe it was uh, not D.L. Moody, um, the founder of the Salvation Army. I uh, can't think of his name offhand. Someone confronted him and said, you know, I don't believe in miracles. And he said, oh, really? Well, come here. See this table with all the food on it? God miraculously transformed it from a bottle of whiskey into food for this man's family because this man gave his life to Jesus and he no longer spends and wastes all his money on alcohol and he provides for his family. If you don't think that's a miracle, then you're blind. Hallelujah. So we can look sometimes at past experience and say God did it before, God can do it again. Amen? But in this case, they're downplaying what Jesus has done. However, Matthew Henry says that Jesus makes a demand on them to think higher. They're thinking, ah, you know, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let's stop right there for a minute. The, Jesus is trying to get them to think differently, to change their way of thinking, to think higher. Just to, the day before, they wanted to make him the king. But he's got more important work to do. Not just an earthly king, but the king of kings to establish his kingdom on heaven. They wanted to uh, make him, you know, what they thought. They wanted to mold God, put God in a box. Okay, because <clears throat> uh, obviously, I think, they don't really realize who Jesus is at this time. He makes a demand to be not just the king, but to be the giver of life. Jesus came to give us his life so that he can live in us. Amen? That's awesome to think about. If we can wrap our minds around that, that Jesus lives in us. That all the power of heaven resides in us with the Holy Spirit. For most people, it's just, <laughs> oh, I can't comprehend that. We'll just leave it alone. But that's the truth. The Spirit of the living God lives in us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we're called to live a higher standard. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. 
As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, really had no, uh, nothing to do with eternal life. It was just forgiveness of sins there and then. But glory to God. And, and I know that this was before Jesus went to the cross. But the, the, the Christian faith is the only all-inclusive religion in the whole world. The only all-inclusive religion in the whole world because every sinner is welcome to come to the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. There is no sin that cannot be covered by the cross and by the blood of Jesus. All sinners are welcome. We are inclusive. Hallelujah. Better than the world's inclusivity. Every sinner is welcome. Hallelujah. That's good news. So they say, okay, Jesus, give us this bread always so we don't have to go hungry. We don't have to go buy food. We don't even have to work for it. They don't get it. Haven't got a clue. <laughs> give us this always. Jesus said to them, surprise, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life, the true life, the true bread. The, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, God says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Spiritual nourishment. I don't know about you, but there's times when I have not been reading my Bible the way I should, and, 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 and I feel it. It's like, oh, man. Anybody been there? It's like you don't get enough of the Word of God in you and, and your spirit is like malnutritioned. <laughs> we had one, uh, Pastor Vaughn Gerald, he was a big guy. He was a little overweight and uh, he's getting his, uh, <clears throat> visiting a dentist and he shows him a picture. He'd gone to another area of the world and uh, he's ministering to the local uh, pastor and the local pastor's a real thin guy. <laughs> And the dentist looks at it and he says, uh, you are overnourished. <laughs> and he is undernourished. <laughs> Let's not be spiritually undernourished. Amen? <laughs> the true bread from heaven. Glory to God. And Jesus, here's, it doesn't capitalize it here, but it should be, I am. That's what God told Moses his name is. I am. And you'll notice in John's Gospel a lot, Jesus uh, uses that phrase, I am. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. And they understand this. Oh, he's saying he's God. Lord of God. He gives life to the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says these words, You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we received Jesus, we were spiritually dead, but God made us alive again. And then John chapter 20 verse 29, after the resurrection, uh, uh, Thomas wasn't there and didn't see Him and couldn't believe. And then he, Jesus shows up and he believes. But Jesus tells him, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and I. We've never seen Jesus yet face to face. But I know, and I know there's some people that claim that they have seen Jesus. Praise God. They're blessed. But we're blessed too. 
Because even though we haven't seen Jesus, we still believe. There's hunger and there's thirst. Jesus said, whoever, <clears throat> blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Jesus says, I, you have seen me and yet do not believe. Kind of a reprimand. You guys, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There is that wonderful inclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoever comes to Jesus, he will not cast out. He will not reject. There's, uh, uh, you know, stories in the, in the Bible just to prove that the Bible's real. There's dysfunctional families in the Bible. Amen? So there's nothing new under the sun. There's dysfunctional families in the Bible. There's dysfunctional families at, in the world today. People get rejected. They hurt. But blessed is the one who has seen and has believed. And Jesus welcomes them. He will never cast them out. Even if they mess up. He will never cast them out. We can always, 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 to our last dying breath, turn to Jesus. Anytime, or, excuse me, there's a song, anytime, anywhere, any place, we're never too much for Jesus. He will always welcome us. Hallelujah. Because Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This was his purpose, was to fulfill the will of God, to be glorified by God. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 2 verse, no, chapter 1 verse 12 says, we, have, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Jesus is guaranteed an inheritance. And you and I are partakers. We're going to share in that inheritance. He hasn't got it completely yet. But he's going to get it because he did the will of God. All that the Father gives him will come to him. It's God who draws people, but people have to respond. Hallelujah. The will of God. I have a book that I have to read called The Will of God as a Way of Life. I like that title. The will of God as a way of life. And we'll finish up here. Chapter 39 through 40. Lo and behold, this is the will of him who sent me. That Jesus said I should lose nothing of all he has given me. But raise it up at the last day. Here is the promise of the resurrection from the dead. This is the will of my Father, everyone who looks on the Son or looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And then Jesus reiterates His promise, I will raise Him up on the last day. There is going to be a last day. Amen? You can guarantee it. it <laughs> because Jesus rose from the dead, there's a guarantee. The favor of God is nice. Heaven sounds place but to get there people have to look to the sun how do you look to Jesus 
In Hebrews it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. How do you look to Jesus when he's not physically here on earth? I believe the answer is real simple. You just read about him. You consider him. Make him part of your thoughts. Pray. Speak to him. I heard one young man, he was telling another guy, the man of the other guys, I've got so many problems, I don't understand why this is so messed up. And the other guy tells him, well, have you been talking to Jesus about it? Oh, well, that would help, yes. <laughs> Praise God. Because Jesus came to do the will of God, and the will of God is that everything that Jesus is going to get is going to be his, and nothing will be lost that's going to be his. Jesus came to glorify God. He came to make us holy. He came to save sinners, and he gave to give us, came to give us eternal life and the hope of the resurrection from the dead. It's what Paul the apostle was arrested for, preaching about the resurrection from the dead. It's what he was mocked for, when he was at the Areopagus, or whatever you pronounce it, Mars Hill, and he tells them, hey, you know, you guys are worshiping the unknown God. I know who it is. And he guarantees it by the resurrection from the dead. And the Bible says they laughed at him. The resurrection from the dead? <laughs> Nobody's come back to life. Well, we've <laughs> I met somebody who was dead and came back to life. In fact, uh, we might have him come visit us, hopefully. You can even look him up online. Dean Braxton was dead for an hour and 45 minutes. Came back to life. Hope of the resurrection from the dead. The inclusiveness of the gospel. The will of God. Whoever comes to Jesus, Jesus will not cast them out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we have the promise and the guarantee. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to rise from the dead again also. Meanwhile, we live here on earth. Praise God. Meanwhile, we try and take care of our families. Meanwhile, we try to tell people about Jesus. Meanwhile, we labor for that which endures to eternal life. It's all going to come to an end someday. Let's be ready.